Hi, welcome to Notes from the Road. I'm your host, Evan Peary. I've spent more than a decade on tour with acts like Pentatonix, Dan and Shay, and Andy Mineo. And I've slept everywhere from tour buses and floors to one-star hotel rooms and 15-passenger vans. My goal with this podcast is to provide a window into the side of touring life you don't see on Instagram or MTV. The behind-the-scenes, nitty-gritty tales of comedy, chaos, and camaraderie. Every episode, I'll be speaking with a different touring professional I've met along the way, giving them the opportunity to tell their story of how they got started, where they're headed, and everything else in between. This episode, I'm joined by Kevin Sanders, who plays drums for the band Cartel. Kevin, a Georgia native, shares an amazing oral history of his band Cartel with us. From formation to first tours, and what it's like recording an album being filmed 24 hours a day for national television. We talk about building a fan base, major label growing pains, and the fact that Cartel is very much still a band. This is Notes from the Road with Kevin Sanders. Uh, so welcome to Notes from the Road. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're here, dude. I, the, you were, there's been a few people in the last little bit that I've recorded, and I'm, you know how it goes with podcasts. You never really know when they're going to come out. You start with a sure. point, and you want them to come out sooner than later. Right. But um, you and Mike Porman, we just talked to, and I'm just happy to have you. you got two drummers. Dude, we're having a I couple mean, drummers in a row here. It sounds like you know a lot of drummers. Yeah. Which Andrew I'm, Cook also. I'm sorry. You know. Friend of the pod <laughs> producer. That's our bad. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Um, take me back to Kevin now also is in Nashville. Uh, current resident of Nashville. There's so many of us Aren't that have ended up here. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's great for me. I get. It. I have like a yeah, an amazing well trove of guests of guests just available to me. Right. Um, but take me back to. Are you originally from Georgia as well? Is like yeah, so. Is that the whole cartel contingent? Basically, yeah. from that we all grew up together. So I mean, me and Nick uh, Hudson, our guitar player, uh, we had third grade. Uh, Joseph and I went to middle school together. Uh, we met Will. Will went to a, a private school and then went to our high school when he hit ninth grade. Okay. So we were in 10th grade and then he came up and was like, boom. And I heard him sing at a, um, like a homecoming concert. <laughs> okay. And he was the only person I'd ever heard at that age that could actually sing. Whereas before it's so, it was all punk driven. Right. Where you right, right, right. <clears throat> shout and scream and, Vocals are vocals at that point, but he was the first voice I ever heard. So hearing Will sing then, I was like, oh my God, I've never heard a young, you know, male have a real voice. Well, if I, and not to jump too far ahead, because I want to get the, the gist of like how you, what, what your formative sort of education into music was. Sure. But yeah, I mean, you just described your band of all those years in a nutshell. I think that's what everybody latched onto. They were like, Oh wait, this is somebody who's there's real melody built into that. Yeah, and we can jump, of course, back back to that. But so, Kevin Sanders in his room as a kid, where did, how did you find the drums? Because I feel like mo- that's most parents' nightmare, right? Because it, it's I, the loud. Like there's no control of the volume. The older I get, the more appreciation uh, <laughs> and gratitude I have for my parents mm-hmm. for their patience uh, and willingness to insert, let me insert those things into my life. But my parents are both, I mean, my, there's music all around. I mean, my mom is a, is a great piano player, um, singer, my dad, great voice. Uh, he's a sick bass. Like singer, bass singing. Yeah, he can, he can sing real low. Um, and so music just around when you were a kid. Yeah. So like, like for, for example, my parents still call me every year to wish me happy birthday. And they sing to me yes. 
And then they, then my dad takes the low harmony at the end and they finish it. And I'm just like, this is rich. That's amazing. But yeah, it was, it was always around. And my, my grandfather played uh, fiddle and guitar, but nothing, nothing in rhythm. No one was like playing drums. There wasn't a drum set in my house. Okay. But I always say that like, I didn't have a choice. Like drums chose me kind of thing. <laughs> All right. I remember just sitting and it was probably church related, you know, being in a, in close to a church at that age. Like you're just, you'd never seen a drum set before. And this guy is just playing it. Right, I was like, right, right, right. I was mesmerized by, by drumming. I just was, thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I had the plastic drum sets and whatever, like growing up. Mm -hmm. But eventually, I think it's like that 13, 12, 13, 14 hits. Yep. And you're either going to be good at all the sports you've been forced to play, or you're not. It's, this is becoming a pretty commonality point yeah. of this. And, and granted, there's some folks that have come and sat and talked that also still love sports and still like Andrew love Cook. Em. Andrew loved it, like love fantastic em. athlete. But then there's also the people who are like, I realized pretty early yeah. there was a transitional point. So I, I think I'm a, I, I can still throw a pretty tight spiral, but you know, like to actually engage in mm -hmm. a game with, it, it just wasn't, and I was still very, very small at that age. So, you know, like everyone's really getting tall and I was like, I got to find another way to be super cool. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> still haven't found it. But, um, so yeah, that's how like it kind of started. And so that, you know, seventh grade drum set shows up and I'm left-handed and I set my drums up right-handed. You did? Yeah. I didn't okay. know any better. They All were right. in my basement stacked up and they're like, surprise. And I was like, cool. And then I go, well, I'd only have seen one way to set these up. Right, right, So right, I didn't right. even think about dexterity when it came to setting up my own drums. I mean, we're, we're two, I'm also left-handed. We just talked, Kevin just watched me right before we started recording this and he was like, wait. And I was like, yep, also. And that's yeah. why it was always so cool because I could be like, I'm actually playing like Kev Sanders on the record when I play air drums. Um but yeah, also same. We're living in a right-handed person's world. Yeah, I, th I I still look back on that and go, you could. They were stacked up. You could have done it the other way from the beginning, and I just didn't. Okay. <clears throat> so, teaching myself to play, it was difficult because I played open-handed mm -hmm. and and spent all my beginning years learning punk rock songs and like you know no effects songs and very very yeah, intricate yeah. parts. Kick snare, kick snare. I mean, just but you know, just like very very busy, and then finally it was a. Uh, um, I was so were, like, wait, were you kicking with your right foot too? Yeah. Okay. So open hand playing. Mm -hmm. So rather than crossing. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I played open handed on a right handed kit. And then eventually, uh, senior year of high school, I felt like I was starting to look pretty dumb because every symbol was on one side. <laughs> okay. Because that was my rhythm right. hand. Right, right, right. So I eventually switched, but that sort of coincided with moving out and starting college and not having a place to play. So I never really got to spend uh, the time to like get that my new kick foot, which is my left foot, up to speed. So it took like, and then we started touring, and I was wearing boots like an idiot, and was like use it was it was the technique was off for years. I finally got a little better, but still it was an interesting time. Uh, well, so learning left-handed drums in a right-handed world, and then how, what does that lead to, you know, now circling back to high school, you just said, like, you found all the dudes that would eventually become cartel. Right. Were there earlier versions of it before it was cartel? Yeah, like, absolutely. And um, what's funny is some of those guys even still live in Nashville. So, like, Jake Jones, who runs Motown Mondays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From my hometown. Cool. Taught, me, taught me how to drive a manual transmission. 
we played in a band together with Will very early on. Um, Brandon Wilson, uh, he bartends at Pearl Diver and has worked at 308 and just a super great guy. Like he's from my hometown as well, high school, middle school together. He, uh, same thing, he played bass in one of our bands. It was after uh, that one that, with Jake. Yeah, ridiculous. We actually, Cartel started, we had all stayed around Atlanta to, you know, do the band and do college mm-hmm. kind of thing. And um, we we gave it a shot and like, you know, it was fun, but it wasn't really getting any traction to take the next step. So it seemed... And what year was that? This is going to be 2000. Uh, so fall of 2001, two. Okay. Almost into three, and then we took. Uh, we were going into like our third year of college, um, and we had taken the summer before off. And we like kind of disbanded. Will moved to Athens to go to Georgia to go to UGA. Mm-hmm. Go dogs! And so it was kind of like a you know we're closing the door, and so it was like okay, like that's that's fine. Like we're in college, just keep going down that road. Like you're kind of right now, you're win win. So. That was strange. That was a strange summer in 03, I believe it was. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then we kind of got bored and it was like, hey, let's do one more band. I'm like, okay. And then it was like, okay, well, uh, we had a band name practice. No one, <laughs> no, one bought, no one brought any band names except Joseph. Okay. He was in economics studying cartels. Interesting. So we were like, oh, wow, like... That's what a band is, which is um, a, a separate group of entities coming together to take over an industry. So we were like, if you look at members of a band, that's kind of what they do. Probably, that's now knowing that that's one of the greatest. So we were like, yeah. that's a cool band name. That's you a know, great like band name. you can you you can't make fun of it really. Like other than the fact that it's like oh drugs and oil, it's like well yeah, but but I don't know, but I don't think that everybody always goes there off the bat. Sure. You know, so, it's like you have names that are so out there, like Hoobastank, yeah. and you're like, well, that's a little too out there. Right. And then you've got like, well, this is just a basic word, but it works. Yeah. Nonetheless, there was a meaning behind it and mm-hmm. a story, sure. and it was short and sweet. So, yeah, we we started Cartel and did like an EP. And I mean, from the fall of 03 to the following fall, we had started the band, done an EP, got signed, quit college, moved back to our hometown, and we're on the road in a little under 12 months. So that was, that was, that speed was sort of the groundwork. You know, at first it's like, uh, it's like the kid, it's like, oh, wow, your kid's walking early? Wow. Right. Sharp kid. And then your kid's running. Right. So we, we were like playing off of that idea where Mm -hmm. it's like, man, you guys have done all this in this amount of time. Like somehow the time was a variable to our success early. That was like, can't believe it. And we just kept going off that and we hit the road. But, and what was, what are your, when you think of that, when you say we hit the road, what's your, where does your brain go? Like what tour did that, what tour was that rather? <laughs> like who is that tour with? Cause it had to be with probably some of the it was, powerhouse uh, pop, sh- well, pop it was, um, rock acts or pop punk of the time. It was My American Heart, uh, All Rights Reserved, uh, and A Small Victory. And that was like our first, first nationwide thing, uh, and somehow within that first six months, we had already gone through a van. We, we all maxed out our credit, took loans, mm-hmm. uh, got a van, 
it broke, of course, because it was like a Dodge Caravan, like weird, you know, awful thing. And then we got another, we had a real van. Our label helped us out. Uh, we were a militia group, uh, which was funny because the whole militia group thing started as, that was at the time when you had like... Uh, where Ruf, the, the, Ruf, I remember Rufio. Like the labels themselves were almost as popular as the bands. They were like their own Yeah, the like drive-through era. Yeah, it was, yeah, exactly. You had drive-through, and then there was Victory and, mm-hmm. you know, Militia Group. And there were all these labels that, that you were almost a fan of the label itself. Right. It was an, an encompassing idea. And we sort of sat down and we're like, Militia's the one that has probably the most growth and isn't probably on its, hasn't been there, done that leg. So we like chose that label. Oddly enough, the guitar player in Cartel, when we started it, knew the band Copeland. Mm-hmm. Copeland, the guy who owned Militia Group, had stayed in Georgia because Copeland was in Georgia at the time and knew our guitar player. And then that's how we got our first EP to them. To a, to them. Hmm. And he just goes, do you guys do more songs like this? We're like, plenty. He goes, we'll take you. <laughs> we threw on an acoustic track and then got signed. But then jumping back to what you said a, a little bit ago about hearing... Will, who became the singer of Cartel in high school, like, right. can, can you now backtrack it to be like, this makes total sense why that we would want that person to front this band? Right. I mean, because you're coming from the Newfound Glory era of bands, you know, and so like that was the first sort of voice with punk, with melody, with breakdowns in the sort of a post hardcore kind of thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so all that made sense. And I think if you sort of step back and say, uh, our hardcore band's going to be on the radio kind of thing. Are you right. going to have a, you know, for yeah. more, more or less, right. you know, like when we're coming out of the grunge stuff and any of that, you know, when Pantera and Metallica and all those bands, I think that wasn't going to happen again. So it was like, how do we get, how do we make this bigger than it maybe can be? Yeah. And so you kind of had that foresight to be like, well, this kid's cute. He's got a great voice. He's talented. You know, like we can do good music with this. And if something happens, great. If not, whatever. But let's let's give it a go. So, yeah, that was interesting. But then I feel like the rest of your band also, it's a thing where everybody really understands like the the actual like tunings of a, like a very catchy melody, a very catchy rhythm, a very, you know, like if you, I feel like if you listen to the progression of you guys did three pretty big records, right? this, that the, the middle ground is like very pop centric, but then there's also just everybody in your band seems to do their part to like make it every song be almost the most catchy song on the record. Yeah. It, it had a lot of, um, I feel like we had always given ourselves room to execute in different genres, if you or different styles of songs, rather, I guess, like right. you know, you could do slow and piano, you could do somewhat electronic, you know, you could do full blown pop. And now, did some of that? So, moving from an EP militia group to the to Chroma, right? Like, was that did did getting in the studio with a producer that could steer it help garner the success of that album, kind of taking off and like exposing your band then to a larger group of people? Uh, yes and no. Uh, we were getting, I mean, I felt like a lot of that was, I remember Will gave us a CD with a bunch of demos on it. Mm-hmm. And get by us, I mean the rest of the band. 
he went to Florida to visit his family. And then all of a sudden we were in my childhood bedroom, which is empty to become our practice space because we were all back in our hometown with nothing to do and nowhere to be. And we sort of worked on those. And then pre-production with real producers was more like, hey, you're about to come off of the crash into the bridge. You should go to the hi-hat before you go back to the ride. Little things like that where you don't just, little movements here and there. And they sort of, I kind of always said it's like bumper bowling. You know, like you're just trying to throw strikes. Mm -hmm. And then producers are just there to be like, "Eh, there's a little nudge back to the center. Just keep letting you throw strikes. A good or great producer in that. Right, yeah, just just let them go. You know, like producers are going to get a lot of credit if everything works well together, you know. And so like help them find the sounds, help them, you know, be there to just, hey, the good idea, let's do this, you know, and um, uh, Zach Odom and Kenneth Mount that helped us do that, do Chroma and our second record uh, were great with that. You know, they were just like, no idea it's a bad idea, no take what's a bad take, let's just do another one just so we have it. <laughs> you know, it's fair. And so, again, like I always think producers are kind of like those bumpers in a bumper bowling thing mm-hmm. where you're like, you're just, just let us let us heave some strikes down there. And if, if we're off, like, you know, tell us we're off. But if not, like, nudge it right back and then boom, strike. So, but yeah, to your point, having real a real studio to get real sounds i think helped uh pump more creative life into the experience into the like pulling it off and then you as a drummer do you feel like with what with that being said you got a chance to hear what you wanted a drum to sound like and you could you had a a little bit of time to go through that especially with those guys because they tune the drums to a piano interesting like what keys a song in okay give us a second and they tune every single Hmm. every single tuning rod to or tension rod to the the song and so i'm like this is out of my league (laughs) i'm like you guys are way too good at this yeah and could i tell i don't know just hit them but it was nice to hear your after recording on four tracks and to tape as kids to Mm -hmm. hear it in a real studio was mind-blowing to hear what music could sound like and now kids can do that in their bedroom and it sounds pro right and i'm pretty envious of that but uh yeah we just it's hearing real music with real studio with real backing with real producers like sort of just kept giving you confidence that you were on the right track keep going just keep trying and then, f- so from there, from like recording that, having something tangible to bring to a label, and then it kind of growing, right? You know, getting out to the masses, kids. Yeah, and even like back to like our EP, you know, when you're trying to get started, I always say the more work that you can do for the label before there's a label, mm-hmm. the better off you'll be. If you design, if you have, if you produce, engineer, mix, master recordings. And you go through the, you know, back in the day, the time of getting the artwork done, having it pressed, where I can give you, hey, look, here's the initiative we've taken so far. Here's our, here's our, our record. It's done. All you got to do is stamp your name on the back. And right. they're like, kind of look around at each other, like, there's no work for us to do. Pretty easy. And it makes it, makes it for less of a risky you know, sign up. And so was that sort of the, that route for com- yeah, kind of ex- coming to the militia group and just saying like, this is our vision Yeah, and they trusted you Hey, guys. here's our EP. There's five songs. Mm-hmm. It's ready for a label if you're ready. And there, you know, you kind of say like, you yawn or you're in or you're out. Yeah. And it worked to where they were like, can you do more of this? We're like, sure. And it, but I always say like, that was one of those things like, wait, like, wh- like what can I do? 
you know, when people ask, mm-hmm. what can I do? And I'm like, do the work, do it before anyone else. You know, don't, don't just say like, oh, well, like, oh, we have these ideas. Like, there you go. You do it. No, like it's up to you. Like you're, you are your label. Until right. coming with more of a full, full set of a, a yeah. full picture. Show them full, that you have yeah. ideas that you took from, you know, paper to product. And that matters. I think that they, they'll then know they've got people that have heads on their shoulders that can execute. And, and you've, you've reduced the risk. Well, and then getting on the ground with fans. Right. So then jump me to EP, small touring, right. supporting a bunch of bands. And then now you have a full length either coming out or it came out. Where, right. Where, now take me through that. So 2005, right? Because right. that was so, 2005 when that record would have yeah, come out. So four fall, or five, right? Fall of 05. We that record comes out, and I'm a little rusty on when we actually got a booking agent, but that was harder than anything else. And I still think to this day might be true. You can get, you can make a record, you can get management, you can get signed, but getting a professional to put you on the road is one of the t- the, the the tougher elements to the whole puzzle mm. uh, to to really get out there. And so, you know, once you get that, once you get a booking agent, then it's like, all right, you guys are gone. That's it. Stay right. gone. That's the person that keeps you out oh, on yeah. the road, that, keeping they the are, shows coming. Yeah, there's a lot of, <clears throat> they're a big part of the lifeblood of a, of a band, you know. Yeah. And um, so uh, we put Chroma out and we're like, oh, cool, we did it. Like a full length, like neato. Right. Um, and then kind of 06 rolls around and we go on tour with the starting line. So that's starting line, Copeland, Gatsby's American Dream. Um, and that was awesome. I mean, for that for, for 2006, that's a pretty heavy hitting tour. Yeah, that thing, uh, that was a lot. Um, and, and that was when I knew things were about to get crazy. But... <clears throat> um, and what, what slot were you guys in on that? Like, what were you? It was a five-band bill, and we were two. Okay. We were still pretty early. Um, 30 minute set, but we loved 30 minute sets. We were like, right, you're just crushing we the crowd. Like, Shouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> we, we took what could be like not enough time and said, like, hoping to leave everyone going, I wish those guys had more time. Yeah. And I, it was, and then you had three other band sets to quote unquote work the crowd. Right. Go out, be seen, be known, meet people. You know, and that's where it's like, that's the hospitality side of it. And that, and I mean, that's right, your yeah. strongest and point. That's, that's me. Um, but I always, anytime I've ever worked with sort of a newer artist or anybody that's ever asked me about that, I was like, that it, that needs to be, the show should be one in terms of like, what are your goals of getting through or making the best you can? And yep. then two is making your way to a place where people can see you, get to you, talk to you. Yeah, be accessible. Yeah. Especially and, like now, it's like you're so accessible, mm-hmm. and like why it was some sometimes harder back then, or there was this like mystique to it, like oh my god, there they are. But I feel like that made as much of a connection because then it was a musical connection, and then a personal connection, right? And, and for you guys, also trying to get records in people's hands, right? Yeah, you know, like that was the thing to do. Also, you're kind of bored, yeah. so yeah, either smoke another bowl. <laughs> which you can always do. And then just go out there and like talk to people. Like, so it, um, yeah, it's, that's so pivotal to the success of any band. I think even to this day, 
Um, and then from there, so that's 2006. Yeah, that's, 2006 was an, a wild year for us because that was like one of those years I think everyone has. I think every band has that one year was like, man. It's like the magic year. It's the, it's the magic year. It's when things really become a, a ride and you, uh, we were gone like 11 and a half months, 11 months that year, I think something like, I mean, it, yeah. where you're doing nine week tours, A, B, partial C markets, two weeks home, all of Warp Tour when Warp Tour was at nine, its peak. Nine, yeah, yeah, that was you know, at its peak. Nine and a half weeks, something mm-hmm. like that. I mean, like stupid long ABC markets, which yeah. is great for any up and coming band. It's free promotion. It's a long tour. You're in front of a lot of kids. Right. Great stuff. But that was a wild thing. You know, Warp Tour in itself, like what a rite of passage. Like, yeah. we did it once for a summer, almost one too many times. <laughs> right. God, what it's brutal. And we were on the Ernie Ball stage. For, that was like 06, yeah. 07. And we were like, a top 20 hit band at the time. So mm-hmm. it was like, what? What? There's a pretty big disconnect that year. I think that that sort of is the tale of a band like yourselves or an artist. I'll even throw in an artist like a Katy Perry. Sure. You took a, your agent at that time, you took a deal to do that tour, and then this record came out. So right. you just put this record out and it grew. And did it, am I doing the math correct that it garnered some kind of major label upstream yes, right. like in the 2005 to 2006 kind yeah. of role? And so now you guys have this, you have someone that's interested in what your band is doing. There might be a push to radio. There's more money behind it. There's more people that go, we get it, let's help. And then now you're playing a slot on a huge summer alternative sure. tour and you're wondering, like, why are we not on the main? Like, we're playing one of the smallest stages, but but it happens, and it's like right. you just go, all right, can I? Can we grow this even more? I don't think people understand how far in advance mm-hmm. a schedule is is set. You know, you sometimes know what you're doing a year out. Yeah, you know, at, at most, you know, like, you know, it's it's crazy, and so yeah, that was that growth year for us was wild because sure, you book. Ernie Ball stage when you're kind of on an indie and you have a new record out and you just want to play Warp Tour. It's all you want to do. You've been to it 90 times at this point. Mm-hmm. You're like, I got to, I got to play this tour. Right. And we're an opportunity. And then it comes and so much had happened in the last eight months, six to eight months that you're like, oh my God, like, some of the, you know, these massive crowds that don't fit where this Ernie Ball stage is. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as like they had something about that deal, they had like, bought our meal tickets for that summer or something, which almost served as like a contract. So we couldn't, we couldn't be- You couldn't t- renegotiate. We, we couldn't, they were pulling bands off of those stages to play main stage. Mm-hmm. Kind of a weird, a little more Wild Wild West back then, I guess. But right. they're like, ah, we'll take Gym Class Heroes off of that. So literally on, on the Ernie Ball stage in 2006 was Cartel, Mute Math, and Gym Class Heroes. What? <laughs> Three bands that would have yeah, they, were on they, the rise. That have done you know great mm-hmm. things, and it's like oh my god, and like gym class was getting like upstreamed, not upstream, but you know taken to the bigger stages, and we're like, you know, you're on, you're on your bus like watching your video being played on MTV and Fuse, you know, in heavy rotation, and then it's like go play the smallest stage, don't get water, don't get ice, and just sit there and eat it, and I was like, damn. <laughs> 
And but like, what did what did what do you think you learned out of that? You know, then moving forward, what, that was, what is what is that? What did what did that do to cartel as a band and you? I guess as a uh, human, I, I think I looked. You know, we've talked about this before, but I look back on that and like that whole um, 06 was crazy because that was when a lot of people were telling you, you know, like saying things about how good things are or good things can be, mm-hmm. and sometimes you start to believe it. Uh, or you're just so tired at that point from the two or three years of of really roughing it, which um, is so valuable, honestly, in the end. You know, like it really shaped you as a person. I don't care if it's music or not. Like you don't walk away from that without going, got it. You, you get right. a little... You, got a little bit more life that's under some you. Street, that's some street knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, that that, that is uh, street wisdom that, that's priceless, you know, and... Um, right. How how often in your life are you trapped with seven hundred people? Yeah. Daily. Right. Daily. Uh, you know, just uh, the same seven hundred people. I, I still to this day, and it's as vivid as hell. I remember being in Tallahassee, outside of I think it's Big Daddy's, um, and um, we were at a Wendy's, and everyone was like, "Hey, we're going inside," and I was like, "Go ahead, go on in." And I didn't have any money for food, and so I went through like our cushions. I was like going through our van, like under the mats, just trying to find four quarters for like a junior bacon cheeseburger. I'll never forget it. Like as long as I, I was like to the scent, I was like, I, either I find four quarters or I don't eat. And it's humbling as hell. And it's so, you can like, you're like, this is it. Like you're fighting for, it's survival. And you have a song, you have music on Yeah, and on you're, MTV and, and and you're like, you're, and you're, and, you're, and you're just, you take that and you're just, you're like, I don't know how long I can keep that up. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, your, your sort of breakout year happens and y- you for a second think you're owed a few things and some of it's human nature to feel that way, right. you know, especially when you're looking at it on TV. Which sure. Is, which is, yeah, yeah. Which is, uh, you know, a mind fuck to begin with. You're just right. like, oh God, it's crazy. But nonetheless, you're doing what you got to do. And, you're adhering to the contract and you just keep on keeping on. And then from there it was another, we, we, uh, supported or we not, not even direct support. We were just like three of two of four on a newfound glory tour that following fall uh, of 06, just because he wanted to tour with newfound glory so damn bad. We just loved that band. And then to like tour them was so, so big for us as kids. That was us. Like at the end of that, that fall, we could have headlined if we wanted to probably, but again, like you're sort of booked out in advance, and the right. band was really kind of behind. We're like, oh damn, like we we can't catch up to this, and we just wanted to tour them. We we're like, we'll do it. But I mean, that's also putting you right, you in front of the right crowd, sure, to grow the band right. more, and, right, and keep pushing because those guys rock. You know, like yeah. they are great players, like and they they bring it, and so it was like great to be with a band that 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 still by and large brings. Uh, a mixed bag of fans, you know, like mm-hmm. they, they bring a lot of different people to their shows. And so you're always wanting to do that. And that's all pivotal to growth and to um, just getting as many faces as you can. So it was, it was wild. And then where, where, how does that lead us into, you know, from there, I think anybody that is about our age that remembers, you know, that era of music and like being around the alternative scene. So punk, emo, pop punk in, you know, like pop rock, that whole scene, 
you guys had a pretty big deal going into an MTV show. Right. You guys were on a show. Right. You know, and and was that now in hindsight, because I feel like you could probably talk about it on gloves off sure. versus ten years ago even, you know, like what did what did that look like? Like what was that decision making like to like sure. decide to do something like that? I think it's um so you've got to look at the timeline of it all. So you've got your first film that comes out, you know, what, fall of 05. And all of a sudden, you know, the life cycle of a record's a year, you know, sometimes not even. Two like if it, you're yeah, lucky. Two if you're really, if really you're lucky. lucky. And like depending on the size of the band mm-hmm. and the scope uh, and the, you know, the touring and the world touring if, you, if you're so lucky. Well, you've got, in that time, we went from being on Militia Group to being upstream to Epic. Now, that was an experience all itself because uh, you start, all of a sudden, like you're getting this attention from major labels. And you realized through, like, through the setup as it stood that you're sort of limited to two. So for us, it was Columbia and Epic because they're owned by Sony, which right. owned the distribution company Got that it. had a majority ownership of Militia Group. So all this is... Big league stuff. You didn't realize you were playing double A ball at the time. Sure. You're like, oh, okay, cool. We're down here in the minors. Yeah. You know. And uh, so we met with both of those labels, and it was crazy. And Columbia had the acceptance record. Columbia had Phantoms. Which, which I'm going to go on record right now and say is one of my favorite records all time, period. End I, of story. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Top five, if not, I don't know. Just and damn. A, and a band that similar to you guys enough where you're like this record sounds great it's some it's close enough but not us but like right. we want to sound like that I'm, we want to have a i'm deal. listening to that record going mm-hmm. not sure if chroma compares to this this is a really good record and you're like well what's going on with this these guys mm-hmm. also on militia group mm-hmm. upstream to columbia right you know hand columbia a gold mine of a record nothing you know um what contagiously was the first single to rock radio, what you know? And <laughs> I've told all the guys in acceptance about this. We purposely went with Epic because of that. Interesting. We literally, and I, I asked the president of Columbia. I go, "What happened with the acceptance record?" Like we're in an, like we're in like a penthouse office in Manhattan. <laughs> in and I'm talking yeah. to a guy who is a seven figures old, and he's talking to this young kid from right. Conyers, Georgia. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm like pointing at the dead. What happened? And like they couldn't answer. They didn't care. They threw the wrong thing at the wrong wall at the mm-hmm. wrong time. Didn't stick. Right. That's all it is. They don't care. And I was like, okay, cool. And we went to, we went to Epic because of that. But, you know, so the record comes back out on on Epic. So now it's a it's almost re-released on Epic. So yeah. well, when's your when's your cycle of the album start? Is it the 05? Or is it this, the re-release. Or is this June of 06? Sure. Summer of 06 kind of thing. Who who are we playing to? The the fans that came from the beginning have been hearing these same songs for oh, what's going to almost be a year and a half, two years by the time a new record comes out. Mm-hmm. So you start to kind of panic inwardly. You're like, what do we do here? You know, and this is like turning the corner into 07. We do a, a huge uh, headlining tour with like Boys Like Girls and um, Cobra Starship, and massive, and tons of fun. But you're like, what do you do? And you're on a major label. At this point, it feels like a different ball game. You're you're in the you're in the big leagues, so everything looks different, sounds different, feels different. It's different, and all of a sudden, you hear your song 
that comes on after a Justin Timberlake song or a Beyonce song. And you're like, what? Like, this is who I'm up against? And it's like, yeah, dude, it's the top 40 <laughs> of everyone. And it's just like, this is who makes it, you know? And you're like, oh my God. So trying to do the next big thing, you know, because you kind of have to always one up yourself, which is difficult and it adds pressure. And so MTV rolls around with this, like, hey, here's this show. Um, and it comes through the pipeline of everyone management and mm-hmm. whatever. And I always say, like, once Epic knew that was kind of on the table, they weren't not going to let you guys do yeah, it. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, like, I know that they're looking at, like, Boom, this is easy. You guys are doing this. You're perfect for it. You know, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. And you're just like, uh, well, they, they're thinking exposure. Of course. You know, they're thinking o- opening up the, the fan base to the masses. Right. And, and MTV at that point still. Still had a little life left in it. It did. You know, it, yeah, it wasn't yeah. completely, uh, you know. It was still doing music programming. <laughs> I mean, for real, like not to. Not to you know, music television was still playing music. Was still playing music. TRL still existed. Yes, you very know, much. Still, that was still very much happening. Yeah. And, and also, like, even for people like us who had been, you know, uh, watching it in high school, it still had weight because you had seen it. So you admired that show. Right. You saw what it did to careers. But also in that 2006, 7, 8 timeline, uh, TRL playing your peers. Right. So like MTV is still viable sure. for. You it's know. the place to be. Yeah. You know, and again, like you're, you're playing ball with everyone that's big and you need a big thing yeah so this whole cross promotion with you know and you're sort of aligning with the network which good to play and get in their good graces because they'll play your songs because you just did their show right so you're like okay got it you've got dr pepper trying to put you on a bottle and play your commercial and put you on a you know billboard in times square there is value to that placement. Yeah. It is, it is a very fair shot. You know what I'm saying? The show, the show itself, I think, looking at it from above, it's only, it was only four episodes, four 30-minute episodes. You realize the first episode of The Bachelorette is like two hours It's two hours. <laughs> it's the same, the first right, episode. Right. The, the, the full length of yeah. your show content-wise. Yeah. yeah. You know, I didn't get a first impression, Rose. I'm like, where, where the hell? You know, and it's like, just to give it some, like, sure. you know, it's like two hours. Right. That's it. To, to, for a whole story arc, if you will, mm-hmm. of, of making a record in public or whatever that was supposed to be. Right. So again, I always kind of look back at that and say, like, we never really had a, a choice. And especially when you're trying to be big, you know, like that was the, that was the move. Right. And I still look back at that and I say, like, of course, well, and I had a television show on MTV. Like that's pretty cool. Yeah, you keep that forever. But I mean, you're you're the way you just explain that is super logical. You're like, this is what they put in front of us. Maybe we didn't totally have a choice, but the options were good. Op- they weren't bad options. You weren't put. You weren't given terrible choices. Right. Like yeah. you know, do I wish we should should we had lobbied for more production, uh, like producer control? You know. It's it, the name already was gimmicky. You could have renamed that show anything else, and I think it would have maybe had a better chance of not forcing people to make up their minds. Right, and that's sort of the problem of where it comes into our story as a band is that 06 year was so fast that you didn't give 
people a lot of time to make up their mind organically about how they felt about your music or the notoriety of your band. And if you're if you're sometimes if you're that person who's behind who's the last person to hear of a band, you're like, that band sucks. You know, you sort of take the opposite stance right. by default. Or if they've given you a sort of gimmicky reason to, you know, write them off. Yeah. So <clears throat> it, it could it could be a bad first impression. To be fair, uh, I'll give you my personal experience. I can will never forget just like I a girl that I was friends with in college pulling up in front of like the student center. And I must have been, I mean, oh five, oh five, oh six, I was like a junior in college. And she is blasting chroma. And I was just like, what was that? But I think I was into other th- and I just let it go, you know? Right. Now, like then touring, like leaving college, finding touring, touring with a band like four year and four year being like, this is one of the greatest pop rock. We love this. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, this is amazing. You know, like it's like a weird, like you just said, entry point. Like where right. was your entry point to cartel and the kids you had at day one right. were probably going to be, they're in the ride. They were on the ride. They didn't care. But everybody else was where, yeah. yeah. you know. All of a sudden you're just being shoved down their throat and there's all this sort of corporate sponsorship. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it, it, you can quickly go Meh, and write that off, Yeah, you know, and, Sort of like we we've talked about before in the past, like uh, our growth. Sort of, we got plucked a little early. Mm-hmm. You know, if you you know you you think about our conversation thus far, it's like, well, when did you support anyone? And it's like never. We never direct supported a band ever. We literally with these two or four opening spots, and things happened so quickly that boom, you jumped. We we jumped. Mm-hmm. There's. There's something to be said for that middle you know, ground of, yeah, yeah, the being the direct support slow artist. And low, mm-hmm. Slow and low. Slow and low. You know, there is um, a linear progression uh, can really help. And you're giving, your time, you're giving yourself time to marinate in the idea of people to let the growth of a band be, again, more grassroots, organic. Like, hey, friends showing friends music was... Was it still is a, a hey? Yeah, if you heard of this band, right? That's it. Like that is and how it happens. I felt like that era was this one of the stronger versions of that. Absolutely. All that too, like the the capability to share music before it was just literally we could right. listen to every any song we want ever. <laughs> there, that's that weird window about a decade ago. There was still this like oh, but let me just transfer you these files somehow, right? Illegal or not. Right. Don't it, come arrest me. Right, yeah, please. FCC. Uh, I don't yeah, want to be. I hope Metallica doesn't come after us. <laughs> uh, I still love Metallica, though. Uh, yeah, it was a, a crazy time. And you, you think about, especially like the band, the bubble stuff, like we were live streaming 24 hours a day on the internet in 2000. In, in, and that was not a thing. In May of 07. Yeah. That, that was, that was ahead of You guys were like, the concept of that yeah. was ahead of its time. Instagram wasn't out yet. No. So, like, what? Right. You know, like, that was pretty crazy of an idea that you could watch me and my childhood friends live in a an igloo yeah. in the middle of Pier 54. And work on a record. Right. And again, like I think conceptually that the premise of the show appeals to every musician. There is a magic in the studio that you can't describe. There's a moment when something happens or clicks or an idea happens or a, a sound happens. And whether you're we've put condoms on SM57 shore mics and put them in the toilet just to see what it sounds like. How else are you going to find out unless you do it? You know, so like taking people inside of that, 
um, experience. Sure. Right, which is a, usually a pretty closed door. Yeah. It's closed door. Yeah, very For much. everybody. Right. Smallest artist in the world, biggest artist in the world. But it's, it's sensitive in nature because nothing's, you know, nothing's real yet. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're fighting for the best idea and still waiting for the best idea. And it's, you grind that out with people you love and it's very healthy. Yeah. Um, but then in the end, like the best idea wins and it's, but you, you try to describe that to people and they're like, what? Like this doesn't just happen. It's like, no, it's, it's work. You know, it's the best work in the world, sure. but it's, uh, you know, nonetheless, it's, it's a battle and the grind to get it out. And it's, so to bring people into that. Yeah. But it's also the work you guys were fighting for since you were teenagers. Right. You know, a lot of what I want to, I've been trying to discuss with people on this is just like, we, we have these jobs where, did you know it was a job when you were 10? No, (laughs) you wanted to play drums. You you could want to be a musician, rock star, whatever you thought about it in your head at 10, but like, you didn't go like, oh, it's like a, it's still a job. Like it's a job too, you know, or, you know, in the case of all the crew folks that have come on and chatted, like, did we know that job existed? No, probably not until we were 20. You know, and, and it's just crazy to that. Was that the tipping point moment of like, this is, a, this is work. This is. Yeah. Cause you're, um, it is, there is, there are those moments outside of the studio and outside of the shows where you are an integral part to the business of your band mm-hmm. and the music business. And, um, it's tough because at first, you are the label. You are everything. Right, you're the promotion person. Yes. Like you're, you, the, you're, you're, you're you your wear, booking agent. You wear every hat mm-hmm. and you think about how you want that to happen and be handled. And you're answering every email or every message on whatever social media there is at the time. And right. you're, you are connected as one can be. And then all of a sudden, there's professionals that intimidate you because you're like, well, you live in Manhattan. You do well. You have a thriller plaque on your office wall. <laughs> sure. How do I argue with that? Right. Um, and you sort of hand over the reins to professionals that have jobs, and you're like, they've got to, they've got to do, they got to make it happen, right? It's gonna be great. And it's not always that way because then there's not just five guys in the room making a decision. There's fifty. You know, there's departments, department heads, and all mm-hmm. this stuff happening. And that is interesting because in the end, it still feels like it's all your best idea. But there's a lot of people to make happy and a lot of people that need to believe in the decision or else they won't work it. And that's sure. the other job part, right. especially from, the, from a label side. They've got to work it. But yeah, it, uh, it never felt like a job to me okay. ever. There was never once. And even to this day, you know, like moving to Nashville and like talking with with certain artists that were like, hey, man, like you looking for a gig? And I was like, no. But you start thinking about it. Like, well, I love to play. I love to be a part of that. Sure. Like making a set and making a live performance magical or whatever. Right. And, but for me, if I ever take another gig, I think it'd be the first day I worked in this business. The first day I'd feel like work. I'd be, an, I'd be an employee. Because you're saying it's not the same as playing with your childhood friends. Right. And, you know, and getting to do all the things you did. For me, I look at it, it's like walk away from the table, take your chips, 
you are up. Cool. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. But uh, I think back to your point, like it's, um, it, it is, it is funny to see the work, to see the jobs, to see, you know, especially with Band in the Bubble, like when we left the show, we got to see the production behind it. And I didn't, I didn't know that all that was back there. And there's just people back there all day and all night just being like, what the hell? They had tallies for how many showers we took. They were taking bets on who'd be the last one to go to bed. Like, was that was that public knowledge? You're saying the crew people were. Yeah, just, it was all them just like yeah. trying to make a game out of our lives. I was right. like, what the hell is going on? But did you find it humorous? Absolutely, and amazing, totally. Yeah, you're like, man, I would do the same thing. I would absolutely do that. So, um, but so to roll off of what we were just talking about a little bit, do you, and and playing drums, playing music in general, right. n- not feeling like a job. Do you feel like that's how you still see it? Like it's you've had a you know to to transition you did that record you there was another record after that and there right. had to be a lot of touring in between sure. which we can cover for a second but just to stick on this to- this topic where you're at now when you get a chance to play the drums are you just super happy to get a to get a yeah if it's a weekend because i know you are doing you have played yeah with, i filled in with the audition for uh for most of all of last year and uh it was that was a challenge to learn new songs and especially mm-hmm. songs in this genre that you have to know with confidence, you know, to be able to play uh, at that speed and certainty. Um, but I'm also starting to realize that it's kind of like when band, when band practice would happen. You play with the band and you're playing with the band. You throw one friend, one person into that practice space, it's a performance. <laughs> Just one. Right. So at this point, if you put me in front of five people, I'm I'm gonna get the same. My body reacts the same as if it's five thousand, because I want I want it to be the, I want it to be full tilt, hundred percent. Like hairs down, I'm going nuts. Right. And and that energy again. So it that makes me feel really good knowing that it doesn't matter. It doesn't need to be in a bus, you know, in this huge venue. You know, it doesn't have to have all that stuff to it to really get the magic. So no matter how big or how small, it's the same, I think, for me at least. You know, like that, that, when, that, uh, when that adrenaline kicks in and you're on that rush, I mean, it's just, that's, that's it. And again, f- f- you could put one person in practice space and I'm like, oh God, here we go. We're playing a show. Yeah, it's and, a show. and honestly, that's valuable because like I could play, I could play at the, I'm at the practice space pace forever. Mm-hmm. I need my body to have that kick of adrenaline to grip my sticks too tightly, to hit my drums too hard, to to get in tour shape more or less. Right, and remind yourself to play with that energy yeah. because that is the that's the X factor of playing. If once you're playing off a crowd's energy or anyone's energy, mm-hmm. it is night and day different. I've seen it a little bit more lately with you know bigger artists who are willing to especially somebody like a mayor, he'll do like friends and family day, like come to the practice space. And right. some he must feed off that too. He must want that. He must be like, I could play these solos all day with my eyes closed, yeah. but now I've got people in this room that are going to maybe judge me, like actually judge me. It becomes a performance. Yeah. It does. It, and, and there's, I think everyone would agree. Like you give you just anyone in the room, you're like, damn it. They're there. They're watching. <laughs> right. Watch this. Yeah. It, it happens. And, that intensity or whatever that is, is, is reassuring to me that no matter where you go or who you're playing with or what you're doing or what style, whatever it is, like 
it's there if, if you really want it to be. So it, it should always make you feel nice knowing that it, it can happen no matter what you do or where you are. So, um, and it's like I told you the night, like, I don't, I think, uh, I think a ghost, you know, is a spirit with unfinished business. And I don't think I have any ghosts in the music business. I really don't. Like, That's I, a really great way to put it. I just, I don't, uh, I look at the, the shot I've had with the people I've had it with. And I don't, I, I mean, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't take anything back. I wouldn't, I wouldn't make anything different because it all helped define shape. And like, again, what a time, but I don't, uh, I, I don't think it would be any better if I kept or did it any differently, you know? So it's, it's, uh, it works that way for me the most. And I, it allows me to kind of compartmentalize my experience and say like, wow, like it's almost like a, a book, you know? And I'm like, oh, I can always just go grab it off the shelf and just revisit it at any time. I mean, even just like now. And so you're like, oh yeah, it's so fond you know, in my head, so or in my heart, so it's yeah, it's good. Well, with that, the, I always ask. This is the rapid fire segment. Um, so, advice to yourself five and ten years ago, and it seems like you've made peace with all of that. But like, you know, ten years ago, so we're in two thousand nine. I mean, sure, you know, you're on that. Was that record three? Would have been two thousand nine, two thousand ten ish. Yeah, yeah two thousand nine you know, so cycles. Ten, ten years ago, then five years ago, in sort of your like path to now to right. current. So 2009 was probably just like a, it was great because we were on windup at the time. And so we had a whole, a label giving us a whole nother fair shot, which is rare that you can come off a major to a label like windup, which is an independent with the money of a major mm-hmm. and have them do a full radio campaign to push. So at that point in my life, I was still very much about capturing the new magic, you know, or just like, wow, like, People still believe in it. You should too. Um, and it's crazy because you're you're kind of past that first hill of the roller coaster. Mm-hmm. So there's that anticipation leading up to that hill, and then there's that drop. But you're like, ah, my god, this is nuts, and you're freaking out. And then there's every hill after. Mm-hmm. So you've you're got the rush, but it's a little. You're kind of just riding the wave, and it's up and down, and up and down, and up and down. You're still on the ride. It's just not as extreme. Um, it's kind of how I look at at that that point. You're at that point. It feels a lot like not autopilot, but you're um, you're not blown away by right. things as much. But so what? And then what? In that, what would you like offer to yourself if you could go back to ten years ago, Kevin, and say, "Hey, man, like, just stay on the ride." What would yeah. you like? What are you? Yeah, I mean, I remember. Th- I remember as we were sort of. Um, you're bringing it in for a landing more or less. And like mm-hmm. the tray tables are coming up and seat backs coming up. Um, at a certain point you're, you're, you're saying still believe it. And the other part of you is saying is challenging yourself to what's next. Um, from an 09 perspective or 10 years, it's like, Hey, this has been good. Uh, it can still be good. Like keep going, you know, because it's, it's all you've known. Right. And you want to, you know, you're kind of like, well, let's see what happens. And, so, and you're with the people you love the most. So at least if you're there with them, it's like, oh, this is fine. Um, so I think kind of just having the faith that it's all worked out somehow, as life does, like just keep, just keep seeing what happens. Right, so like don't stress as much. Exactly. Yeah. And if you are forced to the difficult decision or adjustment, then 
adjust. Yeah. You know, like you've got the, the power of the road, the power of music or whatever to take with you forever. So now it's like this common denominator. I think once you tap into this, whatever this is, it's with you forever. And it kind of just stays with you in everything you do and the way you approach things or how you view the world and its size and scope. Um, I think becoming worldly is maybe the best thing I took out of it. Not just being like, oh, I live between two coasts. Right. You know, but like I'm a human being on a planet full of 7 billion people. With that said, favorite place you saw elsewhere? Japan, hands down. Japan is just this place you can't, you can't, it's just, uh, it's a magic and there's a respect and the honor, you know, and these are things that are instilled and you have to believe in, but it defines their culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they've been around for like millennia. It's crazy. Yeah, it's on my, we're <clears throat> this year for Pentatonix, they just announced like, we, they just put it out there and they're actually on sale. Like we're going in January, February. I've never been. Oh it's one of the most intriguing cultures of to me. Period. So I'm I'm beyond ecstatic. You, you won't want to come home. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is it is such a place. Um, it's just the feeling you get. Again, the people, the way they treat you. You know, it makes you want to treat people that way. Mm-hmm. People that you don't know. People that are outside of their, you know, country's borders. People that don't speak your language. You know, it invokes a kindness to you. Like I wish there was a government program that took people out of the safety of the United States and put them somewhere where you had to be nice to someone who doesn't speak your language. Yeah. That, <laughs> and your, your ability to eat is on their ability to understand you. Yes. Okay. Comfort zone. Exactly. Comfort and zone. it's, it is, it's tough, but it's, yeah, God, it's awesome. And, you know, and again, again, just a culture like that, that just, and the way they respond to music and want to hear it. And it's, yeah. It's unlike anything else. It's by far the best. I want to go back right now. Yeah. It's take, it's been on my it was on my 2020 travel list regardless, sure. but then now getting to go and experience it with hopefully, you know, we there'll be a guide, we have someone who can help and communicate and That's the other thing. I, I love that. I would have never gone if you if it didn't happen, if it wasn't through music or whatever, mm-hmm. I don't I wouldn't have I don't think I'd have the courage. Um and to, I think the beauty of the road is is uh, you get to you're in these locations not as a visitor. You've got a you've got a task. You have you have a thing to do. Right. You have a job, and so like you're like, yeah, I'm needed here. <laughs> I had to come. Right. I had to come do the thing. Right. You know, without it. Right. Well, it, was, we did. it was forced yeah. out of your comfort zone. So, you were forced. So like yeah. being in every city in America is like, yeah, you know, like I had to come here. Like I'm I'm one of you now. Yeah. I showed up. Uh, versus like planning a trip because mm-hmm. I know that I wouldn't plan a trip to half these places and I wouldn't look at hotels and what to, where to go. So for people to hold your hand, whether here or overseas is, is a gift because they're like, check it out. I'll show you everything. Right. Sit back and you're like, Oh God, yes, no stress. Yeah. But so to be taken on a journey with someone from that culture has got to oh, be the coolest thing by far. Yeah. Cause they just take you to the, the best spots, but you also have someone that you can, you can sort of fast track your understanding of it all. Mm-hmm. What's this? Why is this this way? We do this differently. Like you just begin to dissect your what you perceive, and you realize how self-made or self-inflicted some of the things that you are, or have become, or believe are 
not real. Sure. And they're just byproducts of the society you live in. Sure. And then you're like, oh, and then that gets your mind going. And then the gears just turn from there. And that's that's where going to other countries, I think, is so valuable to to everyone. Or should be. Well, I'm personally I've been grateful forever. You know, every I've I've so many friends that I think they've they've gotten a better understanding of what I do. And but some of them are still always like, you know, when are you just gonna call it? And I'm like I don't know, man. When was the last time you got to go to <laughs> name a country in the New Zealand? When are, when are you going? And they're like, yeah, you know, like that's the only thing we've always been sort of like envious of what you do. You know, right. we know you've, it's taken you a lot longer to kind of find a normal adult path, which admittedly, yes. Um, you know, and it's, but it's always like, when are you going to, and I'm like, I don't know. Do you have the freedoms to just pick up and go when you want? And they don't. They're, they're committed to a deeper, level of a career right which i'm envious of at times as well but i'm not on the flip side of like i can just pick up and travel if i want when we're not working so well it's like um i used to i've always said you've got to view um you have to view like sort of the idea of getting out on the road like the idea of failure as a success so if you can if you can say hey I'm going to do I'm going to quit my job, drop out of school, you know, quit my current existence to completely change tracks. If you can view that whole risk scenario as a reward no matter how bad, you win. And that's exactly how I looked at getting into this business or in the music at all was well you're telling me that the, the thing I've been doing is always going to be here, you know? And that's not, not to take away from what anyone else does, right. you know? But, like, where I live and what I do. So, like, you know, wherever you go there, you'll be. If that's always yeah. the alternative, right? then just do anything else. And, and again, like, the, I think the beauty of getting into it at a young age is that you don't know. You don't have to know what it's like or figure it out, and you can really be a lot uh, more aggressive with risk than, you know, it'd be tough to hop on the road now at 30 something. And, you know, you're a little tired, yeah, you know? Yes. And again, like I've said before, like, um, I don't think I realized how much youth uh, is in getting a, a the band. Grind, a, yeah, the grind. The grind. Like yeah. it just takes being young. There's mm-hmm. just a fervor of just being like, oh, I am young. I can conquer all that invisibility that you can't be hurt or harmed uh, or that you'll always, you know, land on your feet. Sort of a, a little bit of an ignorance, you know, you're just like, right. yeah, screw it. <laughs> uh, and that's awesome, you know, like f- take that. But again, like if what you're, where you are, what you're doing now is something you're content with, then maybe like, you know, throw a wrench in it, you know, see where it takes you. Right. Maybe you wind up in Japan with your buds. Maybe you wind up in a bubble on Pier 54. Who knows? But I'm sure you're going to be, you know, fine without it. And again, I think for a lot of people in this world, once you take the road less traveled, sometimes you're stuck on it. And, but, but also it's encouraging because you, you always thought, okay, I'll take the road less traveled. It'll make all the difference. But like that road was just as sort of unclear the day you took the first turn as it is when you're just on it. Yeah. You know, like... Your, you know, your lights only shine so far in front of you. And then the rest is for you to just know it'll work out. So 
that's also awesome when you're like, so when it comes to doing music or starting a body shop or getting into hospitality, what, whatever, just do it. You'll probably be all the better for it. Well, I think that's a great sort of ending point here. Uh, for everybody that's listening that wants to kind of keep tabs on Kevin, where uh, where can we find you these days? What are our, what are the best ways for the kids to to keep up on Kevin Sanders info? Is this like a social media plug? Yeah, yeah. If okay, you want. yeah. I'm um I'm rusty on that. Um, uh, I guess Instagram at mm-hmm. Kev Sanders. Uh, K V S A N D E R S. And then, uh, are we still able to follow the chronicles of the band that is Cartel? Yeah, oddly enough, um, I think we have an Instagram. I think it's Cartel Band. At Instagram, we were a pre-Instagram band, so we didn't, we got off the road a couple years ago and just said, now I'm retired. (laughs) (laughs) I love that we'd love to, you know, saying nothing is saying everything. Mm -hmm. What are you guys doing? Whatever we want to do. Oh, well, you didn't tell us. Did I have to? But, uh, but yeah, but it's, it's an, it's, it's not a definite finite thing. And that's the great, was a great decision as well. Yeah, are we dicks for that? Like, I don't know. No. Like, you know, bands are like, hey, this is what's happening. No, because when you just fade off into the distance, you can always just come back from the distance whenever you want. If you've put a, oh, we're taking a break, oh, we're going on indefinite hiatus, yeah. oh, we're slash, slash, slash. If you just yeah. <laughs> Irish goodbye it, I, I, I don't, uh, it, leads the, it leads the door open. Yeah, I don't think you have to say anything if you don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. Like, we love each other. We're friends. We're actually still a band. Right. We just don't play shows or make music. But we're a band. Like we're when I see those guys, the jokes are there, the friendship is there, the camaraderie is there because we've been friends our whole lives. So the band was always sort of second fiddle to that, which I think gave us a fair shot at, at executing in a in a in a world this crazy. Yeah. And it's having like, fulfilled adult lives. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh well, we're just you know, hey man, how are you, how's the kid? How's the wife? Great. You know, and I think we'll probably do stuff coming up but i mean who knows yeah you know like what does have to do if you're in nashville and want a tasty beverage mm-hmm. come to the fox bar and cocktail club i'll take care of you i'm gonna stay by it's my, my favorite spot it's a great spot now we've had not one but two folks who are deeply involved in it <laughs> um, but I mean, it's, it's, it's a great place there's a lot of magic there um and again like i've told you before like i don't think i realized how much being in the music business groomed me to do what for you're doing in hospitality. Mm-hmm. It is it is by far it is just parallel in in almost too many senses and I can relate it back to so many lessons I've learned on the road which I I am now grateful and value those lessons even more because they're they're showing up every day in my life and 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 navigating me through current situations because I go, okay, I got it. Yeah, know exactly what to do. Um just by overlapping the the place on that i'm sure. like oh this is awesome so it's again like i said it's never it's never not with you well it's beautiful i love that we can end on that note it's never not with you everybody as far as what kevin just went through go for that next big goal pursue it yeah just go for it what's the worst that can happen J- uh, joseph pepper from cartel gave me the best advice i've ever received <laughs> he goes you either get through it or you die you know what I'm, but I mean, like, he's right. And he told me this. I mean, like, he, we were freshmen in college and I was going through a breakup or something. He's like, I was like, how are you so emotionally even keeled all the time? Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, you either get through it or you die. 
<laughs> Great model to live by. And he's like, everything you've ever been through, every problem, every, every whatever. He's like, you're talking to me now, right? He's like, yeah. He's like, well, you got through it. There you go. I was like, awesome. There we go. Um, we're going to leave on that note. You either get through it or you die. <laughs> Everybody have a it's lovely, a, it's a little a lovely day or week. <laughs> bye, guys. Uh, Kevin Sanders, thank you so much My for pleasure, sitting bye. down with me. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks to you, Kevin, for joining us on this one. He is a wealth of music business knowledge. I hope you were all paying attention. And any aspiring musicians or artists that happen to be listening out there, try and do it yourself. I think that's the biggest takeaway for me from this one. And do the legwork out front. Even if you have label support and and or help from a label, do as much of it as you can. I, I feel like Kevin definitely offered some great advice in that. And stick to your guns. Um, it's so cool to hear that they're all still friends and all still a band in this case. Um, as always, don't forget to follow us at Notes from the Road Pod on Instagram. Uh, we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, Google Play Store. So like and subscribe if you can and come interact with me on SoundCloud. That one has fully um, commentable areas. So you can leave me some notes, say hey, and uh, we'll check you next time. Thanks. Notes from the Road is produced and engineered by Isaac Burkhart, along with production and design by Andrew Cook. Thanks. See you next time. <laughs>